on your part. All right, here we go. Welcome to the On Track and Field podcast. I'm your host, JT Ayers. All things track and field related, and I mean everything. And I'm not just talking about pole ball poles and pole ball pits and high jump pits and hurdle carts and spikes. But what about shoes? You want a good pair of shoes? On Track and Field actually has that as well. Just go to their website. You can actually go there and you will see it's a very good website. And it's a mom posh shop, but they don't operate like one. They're nationally brand and they do all kinds of stuff. And I know this because I'm a head coach and I really want to make sure that my athletes have the best of the best so they can compete at the best possible level. No excuses. So yeah, they have Gill Fusion 10 blocks and they have all the great stuff. And On Track and Field partners with me and helps me and gives me a good price. They will for you as well. OnTrackAndField.com. With me today is Dr. Brendan Thompson, uh, owner, founder of BT Acceleration, lead performance trainer, lead physical therapist. This guy was not only an all-American sprinter for University of Iowa, but he's also has degrees in human uh, psychology, physiological, phys- physiologically, I'm not saying that correctly, but physical therapy, uh, as well as a wealth of experience, elite athletic performance. He applies all this knowledge he has in a way that's really attainable. And I know this because I follow him on Twitter and I reached out to him because he recently just published the Holistic Hamstring Handbook. And he's getting a lot of traction with that because let's be honest, hamstrings are a big deal. So today we're going to talk about everything hamstrings. So yes, it's clickbait. Yes, you saw episode 95 or whatever. And it said all about hamstrings. So this is going to be an important one for you for the next 20 minutes. But Brendan, thanks for joining me, man. Yeah. Thanks for having me. That was an awesome intro. Um, not sure I deserve that much, but I really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Let's do this. What's a hamstring? Can you explain that to me? In a nutshell, hamstring is the muscle on the back of your thigh. goes from your hip, goes down to the back of your knee, just below the knee, extends the hip flexes the knee, really important for spreading. So even an athlete that comes to you and they're like, hey, uh, I want to make my hamstrings better, bigger, faster, whatever. I mean, they don't have a lot of knowledge because typically athletes just want their coach or their PT or whoever to tell them how to do it. Like, What do you sit down and how do you describe to them what the hamstring is and how you're going to get this thing better? So generally, I don't even mention a hamstring or any anatomy to an athlete, unless it looks like it could be problematic. So as I'm seeing a kid for the first time, we're doing some build outs, we're doing some different drills. Um, I'm noticing maybe a pattern, maybe their, uh, their posture is poor, you know, they have a mean anterior tilt, or maybe they're casting out in front really excessively, and they're kind of clawing at the ground rather than, you know, hitting the ground, or maybe they're overstriding a little bit whatever it might be, I'm kind of assessing it. And then once I identify it, I'm like, Hey, dude, or girl, or whatever. Hey, look, uh, I can tell you're, you're really trying here. You're giving me what you got. Um, there's, there's some things I'm seeing. And basically you have this muscle on the back of your leg and it's really, really important, but as important as it is, it's taking a lot of load. The way that you're running right now is putting more load on it. And it's one of the most commonly injured in sports performance in speed and power athletes. And so we want to change the way you move to remove that stress from the hamstring so that not only can your body operate in harmony a little better, 
you know, we can start to take some of that stress away, put it on the glutes, put it on the quads, put it somewhere else so that it's more in equilibrium rather than overusing this thing all the time. And then, you know, eventually with overuse, most things end up failing eventually. And then now we're in this nasty rehab process, which many of us in track and field are more than familiar with at this point. So let's go back to the idea that your hamstring could be problematic. And I think good coaches can sit there and look at someone that is casting or overstriding and even has bad posture. In fact, probably a combination of all those things because they're not just, you know, one in the same. So if you have an athlete that's having some problems and they're tight in their hamstrings all the time, is that genetics or is that a combination of genetics versus and, and also just bad bad form? Like, what do you do with an athlete? And I know it's always, you know, it's an unfair question because it's a case by case, but walk us through what to do and how to deal with athletes that are really having a tough time applying force in the ground in a meaningful way. So when we go to the hamstrings and you have these athletes that are tight all the time, they're always stretching their hamstrings. They're always doing these things. Oh, hamstrings tight. You know, they have this like very restricted stride. First thing you can look at, again, the pelvis. If the pelvis is dumped into an anterior tilt, it's going to place a little extra stress on the hamstrings and limit range of motion. So in a neutral pelvis, let's just say, for example, maybe you have the ability to get to 90, degree, 90 degrees of hip flexion before you know you start to run into some, some resistance. Um, or in some cases, it's just a bony block. You know, the, the pelvis is physically blocking you from getting higher. If you tilt that pelvis forward, well, now your 90 degrees might turn to 75 or 70. So now as the athlete's getting up there, you know, now they might have that physical block sooner, but that hamstring is going to be on even more stretch at 75 degrees of hip flexion rather than 90. So just, just changing the way the pelvis is oriented can change a lot about the way an athlete prefers to move. You know, if, if I have a very restricted front side stride, I'm going to have an excessive backside stride to make up for it. I'm going to be trying to do more on the backside of things to make up for the lack of front side. So, you know, on that end, you know, the pelvis is not a simple fix because every athlete has a different understanding and coordination to even do something with their pelvis. Some don't even know it exists. And if you tell them, you know, do these exercises to find it, whether you're on your back doing posterior pelvic tilts or, glute bridges or something. They just can't find it. Another reason that hamstrings can be tight or, you know, stiff, short, athletes are growing a lot, especially through middle school and high school. So let's say over the summer, a kid went from being, and this is, this is really common, like five, four, five, six, and then suddenly they, they just spring up. Now they're five, nine to six foot. Well, their muscles don't grow just as quick. Their muscles are now lagging behind. And so range of motion that they used to have when they were shorter um, now feels a lot tighter. That rubber band isn't stretched out yet to catch up to the bone, the bone growth. So now that's going to take a little bit of time. Additionally, when kids are growing this quick, uh, their brain kind of falls behind too. You know, their nerves need time to re-strengthen those connections that they had when they were smaller. So it's, it's a big combination of things. And as most, you know, practitioners would say, you know, it does depend, you know, is this a kid that has poor coordination? Um, 
recently, I just started working with an athlete who, who used to have forearm crutches and had a whole bunch of back surgeries when he was like two or three years old. And now I'm seeing the effects of those things when he's 18. And, you know, why does he have tight hamstrings? Well, you know, there, there's a lot of things that go into each of these cases. And so it's good for us to kind of, you know, step back and look at the big picture and really ask, how did the athlete get here? What do they do on a day-to-day basis? Um, you know, what does the sport require them to do? Are they gymnasts? Are they cyclists? Are they uh, football players? You know, do they lift all the time? Do they not lift all the time? I mean, how holistic is their training in addressing mobility alongside of their sport? So a lot of track and field coaches are good with, you know, putting in hurdle mobility to just preemptively get the hips loose or they do partner stretching. You know, Ryan Bantz is a big fan of partner stretching and he, he credits a lot of his hamstring mitigation to, you know, really taking partner stretching serious. Some people um, are able to mitigate risk by taking more rest breaks, by training less, by giving the kids more recovery time. You know, it, it's all about kind of meeting the athletes where they are rather than trying to fit them in a silo or give them a cookie cutter approach because what works for one athlete might not work for the other 50. What works for 50 athletes is going to leave the one hanging out to dry. So you've always got to make sure that you're, you're looking for opportunities to address the hamstrings and address, you know, proper sprint posture, proper mechanics, um, good habits that are just going to put them in a better position to not only apply force, but to distribute stresses in the right way and keep them healthier along the way. So is it safe to say that like, if your body's used to running fast, it's going to be a lot harder to pull a hamstring. I think that if you're used to running fast and there are studies that back this up, um, you know, in elite soccer, if you, if you sprint X amount of times per week, I think the range is like between four and eight, 95% or above sprints. Um, you know, that tends to show some resilience in, uh, ham, you know, hamstring injuries. However, there is a tipping point. So if we just run fast all the time, every day, well, you know, good things in moderation are good. Good things in toxic doses are toxic. So, you know, you can die by having too much water. You can pull a hamstring by sprinting too much. And I think that your bandwidth for sprinting, you know, sometimes can be dictated by, you know, how long can you sprint before you have postural breakdown? How long before the mechanics start to fall apart? Um, you know, and then on top of that, how much rest is needed between so that we can keep the quality back up? Because quality is going to go down. Fatigue is going to go up. We can't just be in track and field and pretend that we can't sprint long and, and far and, and be in crappy situations. But we also need to make sure that we're doing our part in monitoring these things so that as we're going through these tougher workouts that we're not you know putting our kids in excessive risk more than they're already at by just being there. I mean, track is tough. Sprinting is tough. It's, it's volatile. And depending on the age group and their training age and how familiar they are with sprinting, um, you know, you're going to see a whole spectrum of ability or lack thereof. And part of that is how well they coordinate their sprints from rep to rep. 
or even step to step. Some kids do great for about 10 meters. They fall apart. Some do great for about 30, fall apart. Some always look smooth, but they're slower than dirt. So <laughs> you've always got to kind of, again, meet the athletes where they are and, and just find the little opportunities here and there to save stress on the hamstrings, build up um, resistance to fatigue. And then also just always, you know, preaching good habits and finding ways to teach them how to stay on top of these good habits as they're breaking down. So are there exercises, like even in the weight room, that you would stay away from? There's nothing. Say in, squat. Just say the word squat. Just say the word squat. <laughs> um, to be honest, I don't think there's necessarily a bad exercise. What I think is that it's the timing of the exercise as it relates to the total training program. So let's say that um, I've got I've got speed on Tuesday, and I go in the weight room and I smash RDLs on Monday, or I wake up uh, Tuesday morning, I go smash RDLs, or I smash squats, or I I go crush Nordics. Well, there's a cost to that, and usually you have about a 48 hour layover that you're going to be feeling some effect of that lift. And I think that programs get so stuck on just building speed, building strength, building power in the weight room, outside of the weight room, that they don't understand how those pieces interact. You know, they see the weight room is separate from the track and that has no impact. It can only help track. If, if you get stronger, you're going to get faster. Well, yeah, but you also, you know, break down the tissues, literally targeting the muscles that we need to sprint. And now they go into practice fatigued. They go into practice sore. They go into practice tight. And now they're more susceptible to breakdown. Um, imagine you try to do an all-out sprint when you're tired or sore or fatigued, or your muscles are only operating on like 70%. You're going to have compensations. Your movements change. Everything changes when you're under duress. So, you know, I don't think there's necessarily a bad lift. I think it's more so when you use certain lifts and you use certain pieces, you have to make sure that they fit in with the big picture, which is, hey, you're a sprinter. We want your hamstrings to be healthy, but we can't lift to the point that your hamstrings are smoked for practice. And now we go, you know, your whole posterior chain's cooked and you have flying 30s or you have fly hundreds or you have repeat twos. Well, what do you think is going to happen? You know, there's nowhere else that you can load the legs like in the weight room. And if you're in their ego lifting and just completely forgetting about the fact you're a sprinter, it's just setting the stage for failure. So let's say you are hurt. And I mean, do I do nothing? I mean, I know Dan Paff has the plan B and he's like, we're still going to keep moving the hamstring like the way it should. We're going to allow the blood flow to happen the way it should. And we're going to help accentuate that. So then they can heal faster and better. Um, do you have clients that come to you that are injured and then have been told probably by their pediatrician, Hey, two weeks, nothing. Dude, I had a guy, I was training remotely. Uh, I was training him remotely after a hamstring injury. Uh, they sought me out because they wanted a second opinion. They had an MRI showing that there was, you know, however many millimeters of a tear or how many 
fractions of an inch, there was a tear and they told him to shut it down for the whole summer. It was like April. And, um, I'm just like, Whoa. So I guess let me go back to your first question. Do you rest and do nothing? Maybe the first day, maybe two, like if it's, if it hurts to walk, hurts to go up and down your stairs, hurts to stand up, sit down, like, okay, well, the pain is telling you something. That's your body giving off an alarm, an alert. And it's saying, whoa, I don't like this. Please stop. So while we're in this sort of state where, you know, we can't even walk right, I don't want to do rehab. I want to protect the tissue. I want to make sure that we're not aggravating it. We're letting the body do its thing, kind of do some patchwork, lay down some scar tissue, whatever it must do to function. Now, once we're past that point, everything is about, meet, again, meeting them where they are. So as you might know, and you've probably seen, there's a large spectrum of what a hamstring injury looks like. You know, a kid can come in during practice, say, hey, coach, I felt something in my hamstring. What do you think? Like, well, uh, can you still run? Yeah. How are high knees? Good. What percent can you go? 90. All right. So let's live there. Let's live where you can be safe. And let's just build volume. Let's let's stack training right here. Okay. How fast can you go? You know, you fast forward two days. Hey, how fast can you go now? How does it feel now? Uh, I think like 92. They probably feel that out. Okay. They feel out 92. 92 is great. They keep going. Suddenly 95 is great. 99 is great. And now they're they're racing again within a week. On the other end. You've got the athlete who's always hitting their hamstrings. They're always stretching them. They're always asking to be stretched, be worked on. They're icing all the time. Uh, they they pull in a meet, and it feels like you know you're a week out. Injury still feels just barely better than day one. You're two weeks out, barely better than week one. Now you're a month out, and you just it just feels like nothing's happening. Nothing's working. And it's, it's just, that's the way hamstrings are. Um, I've had the low hamstring behind the knee and I healed up within a couple of weeks and I was competing again against, you know, big 10 talent. I've also had the high hamstring where I couldn't jog for almost six months. And so doing something functional just because it's functional doesn't always mean good, especially if I can't even tolerate something low level and functional. So I think that Dan's on the right path with, you know, doing these different dribble progressions and, and keeping the hamstring as functional as possible. But at the same time, we can't force athletes to do an athletic progression if they're not ready for it. And so it's just a, it's an art almost of, Hey, how do you feel? Feel good. Okay. Well, how good? Uh, I could try this today. Okay. Let's try it. And then you try it, it doesn't go well. Okay, we got to go even lower, lower level, lower level. And then eventually you find where they can just work and they feel okay and they don't feel unsafe. And you stack work there and then you just step by step by step. And again, just keep progressing them as it, as it fits. And as they demonstrate that they can handle that kind of work. And then, you know, so going back to that kid, with the however many millimeter tear, we did strides. I had him do jogging. Jogging wasn't painful. It was two weeks out. 
he was told to stop. We didn't stop. He jogged. Okay, well, let's jog a little faster today. Let's jog a little faster today. And now suddenly he's doing full on strides. And before long, he was doing, you know, uh, crescendo runs where he's building in easy. He's kind of, you know, he's got enough control in the buildup that he can, he can feel where his body is. Okay. I feel like I'm getting close to something bad happening. I'm going to live right below that. I'm going to live a little below that point where I feel unsafe. We trained there. Before long, he went from shutting down his season to, hey, we're in the postseason now. Uh, we got districts and sectionals. Can I run? Only if you have the maturity to run where you're safe to run. If you're behind, I don't need you to be a hero and go run down the, the state's fastest runner because you're going to blow it up and then you have no summer. If you can live you know, with getting second or doing the bare minimum to qualify and help your team, go do it. So he did. He went and he qualified, qualified for state, and they didn't do amazing at state, but they got there. They weren't supposed to get there, save the season, blah, blah, blah. He takes a little bit of time off. Summer track starts. First opener in the 100, 11-2. Second opener in the 100, PR, 1095. Third opener in the hundred, PR ten seventy five. Jeez. Well, let me let me ask you a follow up question to that then. Sure. Compressions, hypervolting, KT tape. Don't smile. You're smiling at me, and no one else on the podcast can hear that. So I'm I'm laying it out. Okay, why why are you smiling at me? Because it's all. It's all depends. If an athlete feels like it helps. And it puts them in a mental state that makes them feel comfortable and that they can trust themselves to run and compete. Do it. Foam rolling. Cool. Same thing. Uh, Hypervolt compression, KT tape, scraping, whatever it takes to get out there and, and ease your mind and whatever works for the athlete, like just do it. The research doesn't support it a ton. However, as someone who went to the Cairo twice a week in college, literally to get by, as someone who visited the athletic trainer every day to get scraped into foam roll into ice and compress and elevate and ease them, and I did everything under the sun to get by. Whatever works for you, do it. And that's it. Uh, there's, there's not a lot of strong evidence to say yes or no. In fact, it might even say something along the lines of no effect or neutral effect. However, placebo is so powerful. <laughs> yes, it is. So, so powerful that if you can get someone in a place that they believe and they trust more in, in whatever they're doing, you know, maybe that compression makes them feel more secure. Maybe that heat makes them feel a little more loose. Um, do what you got to do. That's what I say. Well, I had Dude, kids one do. year uh, said they had shin splints and being, you know, dumb and young, I said, oh, you should probably take some Advil. So the next day they taped Advil to their their shins. And I didn't say a thing because I knew I would say this funny story in a podcast one day. And uh, they did not complain the rest of the year because they thought that Advil was seeping in to their shins. So you know what? If it works, it works. Okay, let me ask you one question that I not prepare you for. Uh, we have not talked about. But I'm curious, and you're the guy, if I'm taking anabolic steroids, like 
how is that benefiting my hamstring or any kind of recovery? Okay. So let's, let's step back and let's, let's just talk about the, the benefits of steroids. Okay. So, you know, it's basically a growth hormone. It depends on what you take, but it's essentially a growth hormone. And you actually secrete growth hormone in your sleep. So, you know, you get to some stage of sleep, your body says, ah, I need to recover from things. Let me just, you know, send out some growth hormone. We'll rebuild things and we'll be good for tomorrow. Well, if you get excess of that, well, now you might be able to recover a little better. You might be able to handle a little more volume before you break down. Um, your muscles might be built up a little stronger, a little more robust, a little more resilient due to the chronic exposure of anabolic steroids. But you still have to do the training. You still have to train. So the biggest thing, and, and this is just my understanding, I, I haven't looked into a ton of research on steroids, though I have looked at some, is that you can handle more work than your non juiced up counterparts. And so in being able to handle more work, you naturally need more growth hormone to recover from that work. And it's just this big, nasty cycle. So if you're Arnold and you're in the weight room and you're working out four to six hours a day or whatever they said on that, uh, the Arnold documentary. Yeah, right. It was nuts. Um, he's still training for a quarter of the day which is obscene then he's sleeping however much he's sleeping so like half your day is gone by the time you've slept and trained uh in track i mean if you can train that long and do all that stuff i mean whatever but yeah that's that's my stance on on steroids is that the benefits are you can handle more work and by handling more work you have more work you can adapt to before you break down and now suddenly you've built up to a point that shouldn't be humanly possible to attain therefore performing to a level that shouldn't be possible to attain at least for most people who were born with your genetics and your biological state of existence yeah so that 48 hours you mentioned earlier doesn't you don't need that anymore you know much much shorter well dear audience i told you he was an expert this has been like the best <laughs> you got a lot. And I've been writing down things, some little nuggets that you said, I'm going to have to go back and listen to this. And this has been really good, man. Thank you so much for blessing us with all this good stuff. Um, yeah. And where can we follow you? Let us know on social media. Uh, you're, I know the holistic hamstring handbook is on your website. Um, and I was going and checking that out. It's super cool. So yeah, let us know where we can go and find out more. Yeah. You can just go to my, my Twitter and I've got it pinned on the top of my page. Actually, um, my Twitter is at Brendan Thompson. However, there's no O on the end of Thompson because someone else beat me to it. Uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, yeah, then it's also on my website under the products page. Um, it's 50 bucks. I kept it as affordable as I could given how much time I put into it. Um, I probably could have put it up for more, but I'd rather help as many people as I can. So it's about, two more weeks that it'll be up. So I think September 4th is the last day. And then I'm going to close it down, maybe tweak it a little bit. And then there's a chance I re-release it later. All right, man. Thanks so much. And then um, stick around. You can listen to Steve, our CEO and producer of the podcast with RelayBatons.com and on trackandfield.com. Um, they'll let you know how to get in contact with them on social media. Um, but yeah, I mean, if we're going to talk about 
genetic gifted people. That's Steve, our CEO, who has beautiful, lush hamstrings. So Steve, take us away. Thanks to Dr. Brendan Thompson for joining us on this week's On Track and Field podcast. The On Track and Field podcast is powered by RelayBatons.com. Custom engraved, meat and competition legal relay batons, water bottles and tumblers. Great for team branding, fundraisers, meet awards and coaches gifts. And by OnTrackAndField.com. Cross country and tracks one-stop source for everything you need for a successful season. Competition gear, spikes, training equipment and shoes. OnTrackAndField.com has everything you need and make sure to check out our new website on your new source for competition and training shoes featuring Saucony, brooks on running new balance asics and hoka shoes and spikes on and make sure to follow us on our socials at on track the letter and field at on track and field on twitter and the gram 